Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good evening, everyone. It is Monday, February the 19th, 2024. It is currently 10, 11 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central Studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, when you think of the church, as far as Christianity is concerned, when you think of the church, especially when you think of the church from, say, a New Testament perspective, when you think of the a New Testament church, do you think, and, and, and this is just, I mean, I know everyone has very different opinions on this, but do you think about large denominations with an entire structure of people in different, you know, offices and have different, uh, different levels of authority. And this person oversees this person and this person is accountable to this person. And, and this de- uh, denomination oversees all different aspects of, of these different churches. Do you think of a large denominational structure? Now, I know denominational structures take many shapes and forms, but do you think of that structure? Do you think of a denominational headquarters, you know, located in some large building that probably, who knows, costs $500,000, $600,000 to build. Maybe they're paying, you know, three, four, five, six thousand dollars $6,000 a month in rent or whatever it would cost to, to rent out a very large building. Do you think of large buildings with a headquarters and all of these people employed to, to govern and control and, and, and do all of the, the denominations business and all of the money comes into that to, to keep it going? And, and we're talking maybe no, no, well beyond hundreds of thousands, but millions of dollars. Do, do you think of that? Do you think of large mega churches? Do you think of churches with two, three, four hundred people? Do you, do you think of all these types of programs and, and ideas? Do you think of, of seminaries where people have to spend, you know, all, you know, tens of thousands of dollars to go to get trained for ministry? Do, do you think of all of these kind of things that have just become kind of synonymous with American Christianity? Denominations, large buildings, you know, programs, seminaries, Bible colleges, you know, all, and just all of this money coming in and out of these organizations and these, these, these denominational structures. Is that the way you vision the church? Is that the way you, you see it? Is that the way you think about it? Is that the way you think it was? Or has it, has whatever Christianity was and whatever shape or form that it was? And I know everyone will debate and argue about it. I, I, I remember in um, one of my first Bible institutes, um, which was a part of a local church and I didn't have to, you know, go off to Bible college or seminary anywhere. We had a, an entire Saturday. I think it was an entire Saturday. We got there like eight in the morning and we stayed there till 5 p.m. And the whole day it was struck. We, we discussed and debated what was the structure of the New Testament church in the New Testament? Was it a, like a denominational structure? Was it a independent structure? And, and all, and we, we had all, and everyone had to have these, make their best arguments using, you know, scripture and using whatever they could come up with. And, and I, you know, there was still, you know, now the church had a specific, you know, the Bible Institute had a specific view, but there was lots of, you know, debating and arguing through that entire Saturday as we dedicated that entire day really to that very one subject and that very one topic. 
And 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 if you if you talk to anyone, a lot of people have you need this structure for accountability. You need this structure to do this and to do this and to maintain this and and it will it will stop all of this craziness. But I mean, I've seen craziness come out of independent churches. I've seen craziness come out of denominations. In fact, we know that's what happens because how many times do denominations split into who knows how many other different denominations? Look what's happened to the United Meth or to the United Methodist, Methodist, whatever they're calling themselves now. It broke into all these different groups. So and then and then sometimes crazy things happen and and well we could we just, we could just go on and I mean look at the Catholic Church you want to talk about a structure you've got all these different levels and offices and this oversees this and this oversees this and this oversees this and this oversees this and then I mean how do we classify the sexual abuse of children you know crisis that happened within the Catholic Church even with all of that structure in place. There was cover-up, there was denial, there was moving people around, there was hiding it. Even the structure did not stop it. But yet you've seen crazy things come out of independent churches. Now, if something goes crazy in an independent church, I mean, it's like, well, they have no structure. They have no nothing to oversee it. I mean, what do you expect? But then when something happens in a denominational structure, then... I, I, you know, I, I never hear really like, well, it's the denominational structure's fault. You know, I think the reality is with structure, without structure, independent, 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, 25,000 people. The one thing you're going to know and that's going to happen in every structure, there's going to be sin and there's going to be failure. But that would lead us into a different podcast topic. The reason I'm bringing all of this up tonight is, I don't know, about an hour ago. I saw the following headline. Maybe an hour ago I saw this. And as soon as I saw it, I was like, you, you've got to be kidding me. You've, you just, you've got to be kidding me. Uh, but it, it just raises all of these questions of what I'm always talking about. But when it comes to the church and, and the structure and what should it be? Everyone has their thoughts and opinions. But here's the headline. Will the Southern Baptist Conventions... Cooperative program crumble. Will the Southern Baptist Convention's cooperative program crumble? Now, when you, you may not know what the cooperative program is, rest assured, I'm going to tell you. But here, once again, we have something within a denominational structure, and now there's questions. Is it going to crumble? Is it going to collapse? And then the question would be, should we have a cooperative program? Now, I know some would find some verses that try to support the concept, but would it look anything like I'm about to read to you and about to describe? Here we go. Let me read a little bit of this. This was published today, February the 19th, 2024. So, hey, you're getting commentary on something that was published today. You know, you do realize that literally I could sit here eight hours a day just commenting on all the different things happening within Christianity and not even deviate from just covering that. Uh, that, that would be a, a full-time job. But here we go. Again, this was published today, February the 19th, 2024. This is from uh, RNS, which I believe is the Religious News Service, I believe. So RNS, I believe. All right, here we go. Oh, what is that? Okay. All right. I'm sorry. I'm being distracted by an uh, uh, advertisement they have in the middle of this. All right. But we'll, we'll talk about that advertisement at a later time because I don't want to get uh, sidetracked here. But here we go. You put two Southern Baptists... In the exact same room, and before long, they'll find something to fight 
about. You put two Southern Baptists in the exact same room, and before long, they'll find something to fight about. I'm going to expand that, right? You may say that's hyperbole, that's exaggeration. Honestly, I don't believe it's hyperbole and exaggeration. The only problem I have with the sentence is you should put put two Christians in the same room, and before long, they'll find something to fight about. All right? That's the way it works. That's, that's, that's the way it works. Christians disagree and argue about everything. I know every time I say that, someone will email me and go, no, Christians really get along on at least all the basics and at least all the essentials. And I'm like, no, they don't. That's just ridiculous. We don't agree. We don't agree on baptism. We don't agree on the Lord's Supper. We don't agree on church structure. We don't agree on the word repentance. We don't agree on salvation. We, we literally don't agree on anything, okay? Just take any Bible verse and you can get 50 different interpretations. But they're focusing on the Southern Baptists, so we'll play along. You put two Southern Baptists in the same room for long, they'll find something to fight about. For most of their history, members of the Southern Baptist Convention have fought over the Bible, over politics, over race, over sex, over gender roles, over music, over dancing. Now, that's when I became a Christian in a Southern Baptist church. I, I, I was not raised in a Christian home in any meaningful way, so I didn't really know kind of things, what was going on within the Christian world, and I loved dancing, absolutely loved it, and I became a Christian, and almost instantaneously, I was told, dancing is of the devil, okay, so, so that was, that was, I, I became saved in a Southern Baptist church. They also fought over Calvinism, and almost anything else they can think of. So literally Southern Baptists have been fighting for basically their entire history. And I will say Christianity has been fighting, well, their entire history. Christians have been fighting with Christians forever. Now, all the feuding has overshadowed their surprising ability to work together. So on one hand, they're fighting about everything, but there is at least one way they're able to work together. For nearly a century... The Southern Baptist Convention's cooperative program, which pulls money to fund missions, evangelism, and seminaries, have been a remarkable success. Now, I think one of the reasons the cooperative program has been somewhat of a success is because if you're a Southern Baptist, they're just like, hey, we're giving to the cooperative program and we're going to use it for this and this and this. You don't really meet. You're, if you're a church member, you don't you don't necessarily know exactly what it's going to. You're not really paying attention. You're not really asking a lot of questions. Now, I have some issues with the cooperative program and I'll, I'll explain it in a minute. So this money goes to missions evangelism. It goes to seminaries. Please keep that in mind. And it has been a remarkable success, collecting more than $20 billion. $20 billion. So when you think of the New Testament church, when you think of church, do you think of an organizational structure that, well, $20 billion goes to $20 billion? Now, I, 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 I'm, I'm just going to focus on the seminary issue. Why would money be going to these seminaries? 
Look, uh, the I, I've stated it before and I'll say it again. The entire seminary industrial complex, I think the whole concept needs to be burnt to the ground and we need to start over. I think it's the responsibility of a local church to train the men within that local church who desire to be in ministry. You train them the academic way, you, you, get, you get all the information, you, you, you train them, you teach them, you can do some form of a Bible institute, it doesn't have to be structured, you're just making sure they're learning, you're assigning things to them, you're talking about it, you're discussing with them, they're doing this, they're reading this, they're looking at this, they're pursuing this, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this, they're doing this, and they're doing this. Not only that, they get practical instruction and, and seeing what ministry really looks like, not, not the glamorized, romanticized version that some seminary student might have in their mind, but they're seeing it at work every single day and and that the pastor brings them behind the scenes and, and they can see the struggles and the ups and downs and how it works and everything that's going on. But instead, you say, I feel called to ministry. Okay, well, off you go. So you, you may have to pack up your family, move, whatever, but you go and you go off to seminary and you usually incur some kind of financial debt. Now, here's the thing. If the cooperative program has raised $20 billion and much of that, and a lot of that money goes to seminaries. You think then seminaries should be basically free, right? If all of the, all, all of the churches are giving money in, then guess what? If you're giving money to the cooperative program and you have a man in the church who needs seminary, then they should be able to go for little or nothing because your church is already helping pay for them to go, right? You're supporting the seminary. And in fact, if, if it, if it doesn't, then stop giving money to the cooperative program, put it in a, save up money and then say when someone, and if you want to still support the seminary system, then have the money ready. And if some man feels called to ministry, say, here we go. We're going to pay your, we're going to pay everything. We'll pay, we're going to pay to move you. We're going to pay, we're going to, we're going to pay everything so that you can be trained and we can get you into ministry ready to go. So you start off financially stable. So you, that, 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 that means you could go to any church. You don't have to sit there and only pick church, pick churches that can financially meet your needs because we're going to make sure your needs are already met. But no, no one would ever think that because that's a crazy concept. But $20 billion cooperative program. But as the cooperative program approaches its 100th anniversary in 2025, the trust that made the program possible has frayed. Southern Baptists have faced a sexual abuse crisis that has undermined confidence in denominational leaders, feud over politics, race, and the role of women in the church, which parallel the polarization of American culture, have dominated recent denominational meetings and caused some churches to withhold their mission giving. Now, I know it's hard to believe that the church looks like the culture, but the culture is divided, and so that division comes into the church. Now, you think the church should be able to, again, be different than the culture, but the church, it always reflects the culture, whether we like it. We can try to claim it doesn't. It always does. But now people are mad. And because people are mad, you know what they're going to do? You know what people do when they get upset or get mad? I'm not going to give you any more money. I'm not going to support you anymore. Oh, trust me. I know that. I know that as a pastor. I know that as a podcaster. You get mad. That's it. I'm not, I'm not giving you another dime. Because if you're the one giving the money, you feel like you've got the power and you can get things that you want. Well, no, churches are saying, no, we're not going to give any money. Here is a little bit more about what's going on. 
More may follow suit. So some have already stopped and more may follow suit. Angered at a proposed rule change known as the law amendment that would bar churches with any women leaders who hold the title of pastor, whether they are a children's pastor or a church's senior pastor. Passing the amendment would lead hundreds of churches to be expelled or to leave because they disagree. Not passing it could also lead to an exodus. We're going to lose some people regardless of what happens, says Adam Wyatt, a Mississippi pastor and member of the SBC's executive committee. What does that mean long term? I don't know. So they've reached a critical point that one way or the other, people are going to leave. They're going to leave. And because they're going to leave. And so once again, remember the denominational structure, it's supposed to I, I, I sometimes don't understand like, oh, we've got to have the denominational structure because it's accountability and it provides this. And if someone doesn't like it, they just walk away and go start a new denomination or start a new church or like, I, I don't really know what it, it ever is supposedly ultimately does because anyone can just walk away and, and then the whole denominational structure can literally split. I've heard people literally preach a sermon like, you need denominational structure for accountability and for this. And then they'll say, we used to be a part of that group, but we're not anymore. Well, what? what do you, <laughs> so the previous one you were a part of, as you, you know, speak of the great benefits of denominational structure, you, you yourself even acknowledge that you used to be a part of one, but it fell apart. What, what does it even mean? Like, like sometimes the whole, the whole thing. So, you, you know, you have the structure, you have billions of dollars. Is, is that the way it was supposed to be? I, sometimes it just, I just feel like that's not, I don't know if that's ever what was supposed to be. It says, whatever happens, uh, whatever happens will likely affect the cooperative program, which is already facing pressures as churches have reduced the percentage of money they share with the denomination. In the 1980s, SBC churches gave about 10% of their income to the cooperative program. Today, they give less than 5%, meaning national ministries like the SBC seminaries and mission boards, uh, uh, meaning national ministries like the SBC seminaries and mission boards, which get about a quarter and a third of the income from the cooperative program, respectively, have had to rely more on direct giving that bypasses the denomination. So once again, there, there, there used to be 10%. Now it's down to 5%. So now the seminaries have to try to get money from other, other sources, other sources, or they raise the, you know, the cost of you going to their seminary, which again, the whole structure, those men should be trained in a local church, but okay. For example, in fiscal year 1982, all right, I wasn't a Christian yet. wasn't, you know, wasn't anything yet. So this is before my time. Uh, the SBC's national entities received $102 million from the cooperative program. Just in one year, $102 million. That's hard for me to wrap. Like, it, is that is that Christianity? Is that the church? See, when you have a, a, an organization getting $102 million in one fiscal year, that, that's going to turn into, I, I mean, how much of that money just goes to administrative costs and, and hiring people and buildings? And like, I, it's just like, I, it's just that money comes from 
hardworking people struggling to pay their bills, putting money in an offering plate, putting money in an offering plate, putting money in an offering plate. They get shipped off some to some denominational headquarters that then gets distributed who knows how many different ways. Because you know that money's got to go to the overhead. You know it's got to go to that denominational headquarter building and how many people they, they hire. You know that money's going to end up there in some way, shape, or form. So then how much of the money, what is the percentage of the money you put in the offering plate for the cooperative program that actually gets to the thing that you think it's going to? Is it 50% of it? 60? 70? Probably the average person in an SBC church has no idea. And the money's leaving your church. In other words, that's money not going to your church to support your pastor and support your building and pay your bills. It's going somewhere else. But I just, I just, I just, man, that's just so crazy. All right. Uh, so that's more that. So at that time, 102 million is basically equivalent, equivalent to 300 millions to $300 million today. That's, that's just like, is that the way it's supposed to work? Now, uh, uh, in fiscal year 2022, uh, report uh, reported in the SBC's 2023 annual report, those entities received 195.9 million. So what the point is in, in, in 1982, they basically gave what's equivalent to 300 million. And then in 2022, that, that 300 million of what it would be equal to in 1982, now it's down to $195 million, but still $195 million going to a denominational structure. I just don't know if that's what Jesus had in mind. I don't know if that's what the disciples had in mind. I don't know if that's what it was ever supposed to turn into. This huge, it's a business. Giving to the cooperative program for this year is currently down about 2% and 3.6% under budget, according to the SBC's executive committee. A pair of special offerings that go directly to the denomination's missions board have also dropped, resulting in a combined decrease of about 4% in giving from last year. So that means if you, if you, if you just, if, if their giving drops just 2%, they're already 3.6 under budget. So it means just a small decrease. They're already under budget. Well, Okay, obviously nothing can sustain if it's under budget. That's going to create problems. And if now this new amendment is going to create division and people are going to either stop giving or just leave the denomination, then that giving will decrease more, meaning something's going to have to give. And that's where then things start getting difficult because whenever you cut certain things and people get mad and they're upset and they're not going to give anymore because their favorite thing. And then, but all that money is leaving local churches to support a denominational structure. The number of Southern Baptists has also declined significantly over the past two decades from a high of 16.3 million members in 2006 to 13.2 million in 2023. That decline includes nearly a half a million members from 2022 to 2023 and 1.5 million since 2018. Fewer members means fewer givers. Now, I want you to hear that. Fewer members means fewer givers. Fewer members means fewer givers. This is what I always struggle with when it comes to Christianity. I've often wondered if all of our 
programs to evangelize and bring a friend to church Sunday and do this. And we're going to have this plan. We got to get people to church. We got to get people to church. Is it really because we're trying to evangelize or disciple, or we simply know evangelism and discipleship is the way we turn people into givers and we need givers? Is it a financial incentive or is it a spiritual incentive? Now, the point is, and I've I've read articles before that say you have to replace 30 people per year to maintain your church. If you don't main if you don't bring in 30 new people each year, your church will ultimately decline and your church will ultimately die. And even if it doesn't die die because you don't have enough people, it's going to die because you're not bringing in enough money. And you don't bring in enough money, it's over. We just I think I just did a podcast episode I don't remember a couple of months ago about Willow Creek had a church in a Chicago Chicago campus there, and they had to close it down. Even though they were growing numerically, they weren't bringing in enough money. So they had to close it down. That's the way it goes. So you got to not only bring in people, you got to move them to give. And if they don't give, the church goes away. Well, the cooperative program is 3.6 under budget. They have less givers. So now they've got to figure out what to do. The number of churches giving to the cooperative program has, de- has declined in recent decades. In the mid-2000s, about three-quarters of churches gave to the program. Today, less than 60% give. Denominational loyalty is also at an all-time low. All right? So they go on and they talk a little bit about here. Um, I mean, it's a long article. It's multiple pl- uh, pages. Um, it's like five pages long here, I think. I'm going to go to another page here and see what we have here. If I can get it to work. Um, let me see here. Um, yeah, I'm going to go to the last page. All right. Uh, and, a, and a follow-up interview. Um, they they Okay, hang on. This page is loading all kinds of weird ways. Uh, they said SBC churches have enough money to fund their shared ministries, and he was optimistic about the denomination's future. So, uh, so th- this one, uh, so one person believes, hey, we're going to make it, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. We'll ultimately make it. They're being optimistic, but the article starts off by saying, is the thing going to even last? What I want to put forth and what I want to discuss is really, I guess just a couple of things. Do you think that entire structure and millions upon millions of dollars going to these, is that the way the church is supposed to be? Or does that, does that just leave you kind of like, it feels like a, it feels like a corporation. It feels like business. It feels like something other. Do you feel at what point does it kind of cross the line and it stops being a church and it just turns into something else? It, 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 it starts feeling like something else. When does that line, when does that line cross? And, and I don't know if I have, I don't know if I have a specific answer, but I think we all have to ask ourselves that question, like, because nobody ever stops to ask. I mean, look, when I became a Christian, you know, I became a Christian in a Southern Baptist church. I didn't know like what a denomination was, denominational structure. I didn't know how mu- where money went. You know that, oh, you're supposed to give because that's the biblical concept. You throw money in a plate. You don't, in many cases, you don't even really know where it's going. Maybe, I think maybe when you become older and you're an adult and then you go to the business meetings and then you, you maybe you have a little bit more say-so in where money goes. But I then what I realized is as I got older and you go to a couple of those business meetings, then people are always fighting about money going to this and money going to this and money going to that. And then it's 
just, it just stops feeling like, it's like when you pull that curtain back and you step back in there, whether it's denominational money, whether it's at local church, it just starts feeling like, is this, is this about loving God and loving others? Is this about, is this about spirituality? It just feels carnal and fleshly. And I know you got to have money. Like that's why I hate talking about it for the podcast because it's not the way you want it to be. So at what point does it kind of stop being what it should be? And I know if you say, I don't know how you go back to being what it was. I don't know how you go back. I mean, obviously, even in the early church, their money money issues came up, right? I mean, especially the very early church, they sold all of their possessions and had everything in common. Okay, well, I mean, obviously, we're never going back to that, even though everyone says they want to go back to the early church. They don't want that concept. But I just think there's sometimes it just, I don't know where the line cross. I, I don't know what the issue, I don't know how to, how to, think it through, but I think every Christian needs to spend some time soul searching about when, when does it stop being a church or when, when does ministry, I like, I I don't know where that line is, but it's very difficult to figure out. I know it's very difficult to figure out, but while, and it's just funny because, you know, you'll, you'll see ministries and you'll be like, wait, they brought in how much? You'll see a church that has a budget for the church. And then they'll have a radio ministry. Very, there's a very famous, okay. I, I mean, I've looked it up and talked about it before. You can look at a church that is well respected by MacArthur's church, Grace to You, and you'll, you'll, you'll or Grace Community Church, and in his program, Grace to You, like there's a budget for the church, and then there's an entire amount of money that comes in for the radio program. The radio program brings in a a ton of money. I used to have the exact number, but I'm not going to give it now because I don't have it in front of me. A lot of money. In fact, I was shocked about how much money came in to support the radio program. Well, the radio program is just edited sermons preached at the church. So literally they take the sermons preached at the church that already had, you know, I don't know how many people attend there, 10,000, whatever, already this mammoth organization with all of this money coming in. And then they just edit the sermons then send it out to Christian radio and then people send the money to the radio. And that's like, they, they got two revenue streams and it's like, is that the way that's supposed to work? So like, when, when does it cross the line? And, and it's hard, I think for Christians just to know, well, wait a minute, what, what should I do here? How, how, what should I support? I, it, it's, it's very, it gets very iffy and it just turns into something I don't, I don't know what you do with it. I don't know. I don't know where we draw that line. Number two, I think Christians need to really challenge the whole seminary industrial complex. If seminaries are receiving millions of dollars from a denominational structure, a a denominational organization, and then that same seminary are taking men who come from that denomination and then charging them this high tuition so that they have to be in debt to get an education, something's wrong with that. Why would the church be sending the money to the denomination so that they can support a seminary? Don't send the money to them. Save the money so that you can support the men in your church. You can support their family so they don't incur debt. So that when they get done with seminary, they could go to any church because they have no debt and have money set aside to help them get set up at their new church. 
I, I sometimes I don't understand like like uh, the whole the whole st- nobody even stops to ask. I think the local church should be training men. I think that's the question. Look, I, I raise these. I've been raising these questions basically my entire Christian life. Look, nobody nobody cares, but I'm just going to keep raising them over and over and over because someday, some way, someone's going to have to wake up and go, "What are we going to do? What are we going to do?" I, I like. I, I just. I just think someday. I don't know when. Maybe. Maybe I'll. No. Nobody will ever ask this question. Maybe I'm going to be the only one asking these questions. But I'm going to keep asking the question. So when does the structure just turn into something that no longer resembles what I think the New Testament church is? And why do we continue to do this weird thing with seminaries instead of having local churches train the men for ministry? I don't understand that. And then number three. At what point, or, or I'm, I'm, let me say this, do you think we can ever be truly honest about what our true motivations are when it comes to evangelism and discipleship and we're going to do this program or we're going to do this because we're trying to attract people? At what point do we ever stop and go, we need money? We need money. We've got to get more people. Now we can say, we just need them to come to Jesus and we need a revival service because we need to get people revived. But how many times revival kind of almost immediately turns into a part of the revival is talking about, well, if you truly love God, you'll be giving your money to the work of God. And it almost then almost like challenges you. If you are revived, give more, your, give money to the church. It almost, almost uh, times ties in. It turns into money, 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 money. Now, look, it's one thing to look at your people and go, look, here's the deal. I would love to stand before you and say, we need to evangelize. I would love to stand before you and say, we need to come up with some outreach programs because we want to reach this people for Christ. But if I'm being remotely honest with you, we need those people because we need people here to give money or this church is going to die. I wonder when... I think sometimes we just have to be honest. I know nobody wants to say it that way, but it's just the reality. You don't have money coming in. The lights are going off. But you just got to be honest with that, right? I think you just have, I think you have to be honest with it. Like they, they need the cooperative program because if they don't have the cooperative program, a lot of those things are not going to be funded. Well, guess what? Not only those things are going to be funded, I guarantee you that money also goes to a large overhead where there's people employed and, 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 and staff and who knows where else it goes to. They don't get the money. They're under budget. Things are going to get cut. That's the way it works. See, the bigger the structure becomes, the more money it takes to feed the structure. More money, like you, you, the bigger the structure, you need more money. You need more money first and foremost just to maintain the structure. That's that's. I mean, you know that about any church. The bigger the building, the more people you have on staff. If you buy curriculum for all of your Sunday school classrooms. Guess what? More money, more money, more money, more money, more money, more money, more money. Meaning you need more people, you need more people. You need, it's like this vicious circle. Sometimes I think we just have to stand in front of everyone and say, hey, look, 
I'm not going to spiritualize this. I'm not going to clothe this and a robe of self-righteousness. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm just going to stand before you and say, here's the situation. This is how much money is coming in. This is how much money is going out. We cannot sustain that. And if it continues down this path, things are going away. Maybe even the church. And trust me, I know. I know that. I know that in a very real way. I know that. I have to say that. And I try to do that with the podcast. I try to be honest with the podcast, right? I try not to say, look, you know, you need to support this because, you know, we're reaching people for Christ. And I could I could be showing you all the numbers of how many downloads and how many countries are reached. And I, I could sell it as spiritual, 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 spiritual. But that would just be somewhat disingenuous. No money, no podcast. It's that simple. It's that simple. No money, no podcast. It's that simple. And like, like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna try to sell it. I could sell it like in a overly spiritual way, which is typically how ministries have to sell getting money. You gotta sell it. You gotta, you gotta really sell it. Like we're doing this great thing for Christ, and you need to be a part of it. And if you really love God, I, I could try to sell it that way. But really, it should just be like, <laughs> no money, no this. It goes away. And it's sometimes I think it blurs that line because you're like, we need to evangelize you know? because you got to get 30 new people. You don't get 30 new people. You don't sustain your ministry. You don't sustain your ministry. Your church goes bye bye. Even if you may have enough people, you got to get those people moved from a church attender, right, to, to a committed church attender, to really a disciple so that they're now giving a percentage of their money to the church on a regular and consistent basis so that you can count on that money being consistent month after month after month. And I hate the blurring of that line, but the cooperative program, Southern Baptist, I don't know if it's going to go away. I don't know if it's going to collapse. I don't know. You've got people in that article at the end saying, it's going to make it. You got people at the beginning going, man, the money has dropped significantly from what it was. And we're 3.6% under budget with a 2% drop in giving. Now, 2% doesn't sound like much, but when, when you're talking about millions of dollars and millions of dollars going out, The only thing I know is looking forward, unless something drastically changes, fewer people are attending church and fewer people who do attend are giving. And I think fewer people who attend are giving sacrificially. And that's going to impact denominational structures and it's going to impact local churches. And it's going to impact ministries of all kind. Now, maybe that will all turn around, but the trend has been everything seems to be going down. Attendance and giving, attendance and giving, attendance and giving, attendance and giving. We will see. Maybe after the election, at least maybe people will be, they'll, they'll think their team won. 
and then they'll be they'll be like, well, you know, everything's great because it's weird when your team wins. Everything is great. The country is great. My job is great. The money I'm making is great. When your team loses, it's the end of the world. No, we can't. It's sometimes it's just really weird how, like you can say, uh, like, let's really dig into some of these statistics. That's not what you're claiming. Okay. But maybe who, whoever team many Christians have, maybe they'll win. And then everyone can be like, oh, now, now I've got more money and they'll, they'll give more. I don't know if they will or not. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. But the Southern Baptist Convention is not the only denomination, but they're another one talking about some of these issues. A decline in church membership, a decline in church attendance, a decline in church giving. It's a ripple effect. It's going to be the survival of the fittest. Right, that's what's really what's going to come down to from a human perspective, or it's going to be a survival of those who can, I guess, find a group of people willing to support it, or whatever the case may be—a local church, a ministry, whatever it may be. You can get if you're a Southern Baptist, you can tell me what you think about the cooperative program. I know we have some Southern Baptists who listen, so they can tell me their thoughts. And how the cooperative program works. And if I misrepresented it, it, misrepresented it in any way, shape, or form, please let me know, and I and I uh, will apologize. My understanding of the cooperative program is more from an outsider because when I was a Southern Baptist, I know we gave money to Moody Missions or whatever it was called, or the Lottie. Oh, I can't remember what it was called. Lottie something. Um, I think that was for missions, or maybe that was for. Uh, humanitarian things, but there was a, there was some different things that we gave to. And I heard discussion about the cooperative program. I didn't know what it was. I mean, I was a teenager. I was like, okay, I'm supposed to give or how much I got a dollar in my pocket. I got, you know, $2, whatever it was, you know? Um, and then I left the Southern Baptist convention, then thought I was going to become a Lutheran pastor and then ended up independent fundamental Baptist. So that's kind of my theological journey. Independent fundamental Baptist well, we didn't have the denominational structure. We just had the local church, but we did thing called faith promise missions. And that got really interesting sometimes. And some of the things I heard preached about that, but, you know, it was trying to keep the local church going. And sometimes, um, even, even though our church was relatively, I, well, large to what I'm used to, there was times the church was struggling financially. And whenever the church was struggling financially, this is my this I, I this is my feeling from everything I experienced. There became a major push about evangelism, and we got to go knock on doors, and we got to get out there. And I, I look, I'm not gonna. I I think I don't think it was a coincidence. Needed new people coming in because probably people left and people left, and they took their money with them. You got to replace 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 them. It's just crazy the way that works, which makes the whole thing feel like a business. Newsif at yahoo.com. That's newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a wonderful night and give some thought about church, money, what it looks like, seminaries. 
all, all of those things that we just mentioned. Everyone have a great night. God bless.